This is a story about a woman using all her abilities to complete a spy mission and also get exactly what she wants. You know, Bronwyn in kind of deciding for herself what to do with her body, what to do with her mind, where to put her focus is such a mark of, you know, of a true feminist, I think, and also of someone who has power and agency. Yeah. I think it's very sexy. Oh, it's so sexy. That's narrator Helen Day talking about the sexy and determined characters she narrated as Hedra Knight. We're talking about The Duke in Question by Amelie Howard on this Desideratum. A Desideratum is an essential thing. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, and I think this story is full of essential things. Before we begin, I want to sincerely thank this episode's sponsor, Dreamscape Media. Thanks to Dreamscape, you'll hear several fun moments from the audiobook. Dreamscape is an independent, award-winning audiobook publisher. I'll give you a way to get best-selling audiobook deals and giveaways from them after our conversation where we talk with a professional narrator about getting physically into character, playing scenes with a variety of action and spice, and how performing world tours with Cirque du Soleil were part of her storytelling journey. We'll start with what excited Helen Day about narrating author Amelie Howard's The Duke in Question. a lot of strong female characters right like there really are yeah and and here's the thing when I was approached by the publisher to uh, narrate this it it was outside of anything I'd narrated before so you know I was kind of like oh you know I'm not I'm not sure maybe I yeah maybe I'll do this and um I read it and that's what one of the things that really impressed me was just the number of really strong female characters, the kind of feminist slant that the book takes with without driving it home too heavily. It just kind of has this really sort of modern feel to it while being very firmly, you know, and it's very firmly historical book, but it has this kind of fresh feel to it. And that was one of the main reasons why I was like, absolutely, I would love to narrate this. Yeah. And I loved I love that this author, that she anchors into some real things. So some intrigue and romance, and it sort of, you know, it whisks you away. Uh, but she makes references to uh, John Wilkes Booth. She's talking about, you know, this period of time during uh, the Civil War in the United States. Her characters cross paths with actual spies of the time. And I thought that was really clever. That was a nod to historical fiction. But also, I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and again, it sort of gives it more sort of, it feels very genuine and authentic. Yeah. While also, as you say, allowing us to kind of take this flight of fantasy. Yes. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's it's not like, oh, we're just sort of a nod to history and then we'll, we'll just have this frou-frou story around that at all. It feels like we get to sort of live in this time period, experience 
some of the characters from this time period, whilst also being on this amazing fantasy journey. Pasting a demure smile on her lips, she turned and took him in up close. Fitted bespoke clothing, tremendous height, he practically towered over her smaller form. Those angular cheekbones, hooded golden eyes, and lush mouth all conspired to make her lungs squeeze. His pale skin took on the silvery gleam of the moonlight, making him appear more chimerical than he should be some fantastical, sultry spectre from her imagination come to taunt her. She'd take that option if it meant she didn't have to speak to him, but alas, he was indeed real. Your Grace, what a surprise. A thoroughly unwelcome one. He leaned against the railing and perused her. It is, isn't it? Yes, and she's got, she does have grit. She has some courage about her, this main character. But you, as the narrator, you have to be in her head, wrapped really around her character. Um, like the author does these things where you have sort of a sides. There'll be little bits of like her voice in her head versus what she's actually saying out loud. So you had to really um, ad adopt her character, not just her voice, but like a, a persona of her. And then, then the author switches and we're... <laughs> yes, she does. We're in, we're also seeing the perspective from this Duke's uh, mind. Yeah, which again, I found really exciting because we kind of have this duality going on throughout the story where, we, you know, we're very firmly, I think, on seeing the world through Bronwyn's point of view. Yeah. But then we kind of get to look back at her through the Duke's point of view. And, and that's really exciting because we can sort of see, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, um, you know, she's presenting as this high society girl, sort of, you know, ready to be wed, et cetera. But at the same time, she's she's living this life as a double agent. I mean, that's sort of on page one, so I'm not giving too much away there. Um, you know, when we get to see how good she is, because he's looking back at her going, wait, things don't quite add up. And sort of he's piecing her together. And I think that only serves to embellish and enrich her character. And also, you know, he he is the Duke in question. Um, and we we get to then sort of really enjoy and learn more about him. He's not a uh, sort of one-dimensional character at all. He's got such richness and so many layers. And right, right. By the same token, she has certain impressions of him that she's sort of projecting onto him. And we know a little more than she does. We know a little more than he does. So, as the reader or as the listener, we feel, I don't know, we we feel like we're getting to really glimpse into all angles of this world. And we know a few secrets that characters don't, which is kind of quite a nice position to be in. Yes, yes. That's a great, that's a great way to describe it. We we are kind of looking down on it, but then we're also looking through her eyes and then looking through his eyes. But I think that presents a lot of challenges in an audible version, right? Like if you, the reader with the printed page is able to sort of skip around. And mm. so how did you approach that? being, you know, trying to create an audio version of all of those views for the listener? I mean, for me, 
I, I come from an acting background. Um, and for me, it's always about trying to kind of sink into the shoes of that character. Not necessarily, obviously, narration's different from acting in that I'm not trying to be that character, but I have to sink into that point of view. So, for example, making the switch between narrating from Bronwyn's point of view and narrating from the Duke's point of view, there's a different kind of stance I take mentally and physically that then becomes reflected in the narration. Um, so for me, it's really kind of trying to flesh out that character more in my mind and then be in that point of view and be in the kind of the, the, the physicalization of the character and the point of view of the character, yeah. Okay, so if I had a camera into your studio, how what would I see you like uh, holding your posture, literally holding your posture differently and holding your face differently, or like is it that is that what you're talking about? Absolutely, and it wouldn't be as marked as if you know, say I was on stage and I was playing these two characters. There'd be a huge shift in face, in stance, in you know the way I walked and talked. So it's it's not that, but it's a version of that whereby you know. Bronwyn perhaps is a, is a little more sort of shoulders back and eyes wide and yeah yeah you know she's she's also she's she's got more secrets because she's playing different sides of herself to get what she wants and then the, the duke you know is is sort of written as a little more kind of world weary and cynical so there's there's slightly more of a furrowed brow to him there's more of a sort of a you know, definitely he is two feet flat on the floor. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that already, even as I'm talking about them, that changes my voice. It does. So, you know, yes, if you had a camera in my studio, you would you'd see that. It would be relatively subtle, but absolutely there. You would see the characters in your physical presence. Yeah. I love the way you describe that. And I think the other thing I like about the way the, this author is telling this story where we are sometimes in each of their minds talking about the other, is that the heat of this story, the romance of this story is so, you know, it's very physical, but we hear it also in their thoughts. And I guess, you know, I don't know that I've ever thought of romance as feminism, <laughs> like the genre of it. Do you know what I mean? But I think... Yeah there was parts of this where I felt like she had a lot of power and agency and voice. Absolutely. And she's going against the expectations of her as a woman, as a woman of her time, as a woman of her particular um, sort of the upper echelons of society. And in that, that is what kind of then gives her naturally more agency because she's making choices for herself rather than going, I'll make this choice because society expects them of me. And to kind of link back to what we were saying earlier, that's still so relevant today. I think, you know, women still to a certain extent feel like, oh, there's, I'm expected to be this way because I'm a woman and make these choices or not make these choices because I'm a woman. So, you know, Bronwyn in kind of deciding for herself what to do with her body, what to do with her mind, where to put her focus is such a mark of, you know, of a true feminist, I think, and also of someone who has power and agency. Yeah. I think it's very sexy. Oh, it's so sexy. <laughs> but it's linked, it's linked to that because I feel her being powerful. 
Mm. And there was something about reading through their interactions and these very sexy scenes where, um, I don't know, I just, I was surprised by that. And I appreciated that. And maybe that's what I've been missing by not reading more romance. Me too. The, the, the romance, the sort of the source in this book really impressed me because again, I was kind of coming to it not knowing what sort of historical romance it was going to be and, and expecting that some of that might just be, you know, purely for our sort of salacious enjoyment. And because those characters are so strongly written and because we really get into their minds, we understand the depth of attraction and we understand the barriers and the walls that are around that as well. So as you say, the heat is not just, it's not just about, you know, well-written scenes it's also about us really kind of understanding the drive between the characters he was her brother's friend and a former british undercover agent a man who would put her in handcuffs without blinking a different scenario involving restraints a much naughtier one with rather less clothing crept into her mind and she felt her face flame did he carry handcuffs Stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, that was one of the absolute hooks for me. It was like, oh, these, these scenes are great. These scenes are great storytelling. So I'm here for it. Yes, and powerful. There's something about her saying what she wants and getting what she wants. Yeah, we're so on her side for that. Or I was anyway, you know, I hope other people Yeah, are. yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so one of the other clips that we have includes, she's, this is at the beginning of chapter 15, and she arrives in Paris. This is the other thing. I think there's great settings in this book. Like we're in, we're in England, then we're in Philadelphia. Now we're, we come to Paris. There was something about Paris that fired up the senses. Perhaps it was the way the French lived, or the feeling of flamboyance and élan in the air. It didn't feel as stoic or as measured as England. The French did everything with such flair. Let's start with the fact that I love Paris. I just think it's one of the most exciting and wonderful cities I've ever been in. So when I kind of when I was doing my initial read of the book and I got to Paris, I was like, oh, fantastic, wonderful. And in Paris, we encounter some characters who are, they're part of the upper class, but they're a little more sort of towards. Bronwyn's side in that they're they're out they're they're sort of out of the bounds of what society expects for them this is my dear friend the Marquis de Tremblay her aunt Esther was saying he's quite a lovely gentleman when he's not flirting with anything in skirt she frowned or trousers or any clothing actually Bronwyn bit back her horrified giggle. I do not flirt unless it is invited, the Marquis said in charmingly accented English. And then you've got the Marquis who, you know, he's a bit of a, a cad, uh, sort of enjoying, very much enjoying his time about town, but he's also, also kind of has a heart of gold and, helps Bronwyn and understands passion and romance and love. Very French and sort of very much someone who can watch two people interact and go, 
oh, I know what's going on between you two. I see it. Um, and, and, you know, he just seemed so colorful and joyful. And, um, you know, I was pleased when he carried on a little further through the book than I first expected. Um, he's just he's just joy. He's just living and really enjoying it. It was nice that she wrote characters like that. One of the other spies who works with the Duke is very, you know, is very free. And so I think she's good at writing characters that are thinking for themselves or living sort of outside um, all of these strict um, boundaries that we think of for that time period. And I, I noticed actually that Lisbeth, who's the uh, spy that works with the Duke, she's about to get her own book. Oh, wow. It's not released yet, but uh, I saw that and I was like, oh, great, because I really liked her, you know, because she she from the beginning kind of goes, I think there might be more to Bronwyn than meets the eye. And you just get the feeling that, you know, she is a woman's woman. She gets women. She understands. She's she's lived as well. You know, there's a sort of segue about her early years in Brighton that I kind of thought was quite delicious. <laughs> And yeah, so I think this is the thing. We encounter these characters that could be just used to move the story forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But actually, they are in themselves great sort of cast members. You know, I, I feel like if if we were making the movie of this, none of these would be bit parts. They'd all be played by stars because they're fantastic, rich, glorious characters. Yeah, that's a very good point. I could visualize them as you gave them voice and character. Um, one of the other things that I think you do a great job of is there are, in addition to these heated scenes, which require a certain sort of energy, you also have scenes of danger. They are on a spy mission. They are in mortal danger more than once in the book. And I thought, like, as you prep for that, and you know, once you've prepped the book, where it's going, what's happening next, what is that like for you coming into the booth on those days where you're like, okay, this is when they're going to get shot at, or this is when she's going to be injured, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's being in the right headspace for that section of the story. Um, and actually, I will say this is a book that I didn't record um, the chapters in order. Oh. Um, for various reasons, but this is one of those reasons because I kind of get to a chapter and go, ah, actually that's that's big and and heavy and there's a sadness to it or a danger to it. And oh. I don't think I'm quite in that space right now. So I'm gonna gonna skip over that and come back to that. Um, which I don't normally do with most books. I'm going right from chapter one to chapter whatever. There we go, you know, that's it. But because First of all, these chapters are they're pretty lengthy, you know, but also because the moods were so specific, um, it was important to me that if I was like, oh, actually, you know, this is the end of a recording day, so I'm a little more low energy, I'm not gonna go in and record a big scene where there's so much action and you know, fights and danger. I'm gonna save that till tomorrow. But but you know, I, I could do a nice scene in the bathtub right now. <laughs> You know, so that's kind of how I played this book. And and one of the ways that I kind of used to sort of be in the right frame of mind to record specific chapters. It's really interesting. I love that. Let's see, I'm just checking my notes. Um, oh, I know. There's a funny, there's a little thing she, the author has done with smell. And she's given the main character 
a scent, which sounds very like, eh, well, women wear perfume, women have a scent. But what did you think about that? It's really interesting the way it's done because this scent kind of annoys the Duke, but it annoys him in that very specific way where he's like, I'm annoyed by that because I like it and I don't want to like it, but I do like it. And then it's sort of threaded through all of the interactions. And um, yeah, again, it just sort of added another dimension I think, to how we're experiencing these characters and their experience of each other. It's one of the things Bronwyn is not aware of the effect that her scent has. Yes, right, right. Quite, because, you know, she's not in his mind, but uh, but we very much are. And so we, it's sort of a thread of the attraction that, yeah, which is another dimension. I think that's, uh, this book is just so multidimensional in terms of, point of view it's another sensory yeah it's another sensory input literally yeah and I thought I loved that it wasn't like gardenias or magnolias or vanilla or like it was something completely different than what I've heard a woman describe as you know yeah. from a perfume scent so she has had this soap made that smells like cinnamon and apples and um, like a, a kind of tart and and that's beguiling in itself that it's something different that it's and she is a different kind of woman. And it's just one more way the author lets us know. She is unique. She's different. She makes her own choices. She doesn't just get yeah, the yeah. finest perfume from, you know, the London perfumier. She goes and she has this specific thing made that no, no one else would wear. And then it's in her soap. It's in what she bathes in. It's what her clothes are washed out of. So then it sort of becomes part of who she is and... Um, it was just a note that I made that was like, what a clever um, technique by the author. And also just fun that it was this cinnamon apple dessert. And at the very end of the book, I don't know, did you get a physical copy of the book as well? No, actually, it's it's always been on my Kindle. It's where I keep almost all my books. Yeah. So I, at the in the physical book at the end, there's an, a recipe for the Marlboro pie. Mm. Isn't that clever? How wonderful. That's gorgeous. Yes, it's a clever and a, and a brief history of how it was this apple custard dessert that goes all the way back to the 1600s. It's been in British cookbooks and American cookbooks. And I love when authors have extra treats for their readers. And really, even her author's note, like even her author's note is full of, you know, where she found these inspirational points in history and her sort of explanation for why she does things the way she does. Like she uses some modern language to explain race. She avoids words. Yeah that are not in our vocabulary anymore out of out of respect uh for what those the weight that those words carry in other ways and so the 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 research and the choices and that level of tact and sensitivity um and the brain i think that she has to to tell this story from what feels as i say like a very authentic historical point of view but with a, a modern mindset and a modern awareness is just beautiful. Um, yeah. 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 It's really fun. I'm glad that she's continuing the series. The other notes that I had, let's see, the other notes I had about you were circus and puppetry, your other loves. Can, you want to talk a little bit about your background? Yeah. I mean, I come from an acting background and 
you know, as part of that, I've done a lot of very physical work. Ended up through the physical work, learning um, aerial circus and joining Cirque du Soleil for four years. I actually joined as a pop- puppeteer, um, ended up doing aerial in the show as well. So, um, yeah, I did a four-year world tour with them. And and those two strands, uh, the, the aerial work and the puppetry, sort of always sit so close to my heart. I... I don't really perform circus now, but I do coach it. And I absolutely play with puppets all the time. Um, (laughs) I've just made a puppet movie that I'm a little puppet short that I'll be showing later this month. I mean, my focus right now is very much on kind of classic acting. So screen acting, video game acting and narrating. But those, that element of my performance life is very much sort of always always at the forefront of my mind anyway so yeah I I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to actually talk to someone that performed with Cirque du Soleil like I'm a little starstruck by that when I read that in your bio oh because I think um I can remember taking our kids to see a performance that was traveling um and it came to Denver literally under a big tent like came they set up a huge circus yeah a big top show and we had really good seats. And I don't know what I was expecting, but it took my breath away. The entire performance was just, I was just, my jaw was just the entire time. And I remember even telling the kids, like, how are these people, how are the performers not everyday household names? Like the level of skill and artistry and physical ability and and yet they were all just part of a collective. They were all anonymous in that. And maybe I'm naive about that. Maybe there are really, really famous Cirque du Soleil performers. But to me, it felt like it was this collective group of artists. Well, circus, no, you're right. Because circus is such a collaborative art form. Um, even if you have a, you know, a, a solo act, that act has been coached by someone. They've worked with other people. They've taken inspiration from other people. And, you know, the circus, the sort of traditional circus is is very much a, a family, sometimes literally a family. Um, and I think that culture of family and collaboration and, and that sort of feeling that we're all in this together sort of lives on in in my experience of circus now. So, you know, your your vision of sort of saying, well, people aren't sort of individuals, they're all part of this, this team is, is very much part of the culture of circus. Yes, because I remember leaving thinking like, how are they not all immensely famous? How is this not, um, which I imagine in some ways they really are. Like you said, a world tour four years in a row. You know, there's 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 an audience everywhere, right? Like there's people just aching to see that kind of show and showmanship. It was just, I don't, it was also just, um, it was a combination of things that was unexpected to me. It was this sort of, the wow factor of gymnastics, right? Like the wow factor of, did you know the human body could do that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But also uh, the set design and the puppetry that you're explaining, um, the physical presence of everything there on stage. I think what's unique about Cirque du Soleil um, and, you know, all of the shows that come under that very wide banner is that, Cirque du Soleil is so good at storytelling. Now, some of the some of the shows are more narrative driven. 
some less so. But even in the less narrative-driven shows that are more sort of, you know, back-to-back acts, the acts are telling us a story. They're setting a a mood. They're setting a scene. We're going into a world. And that's where, you know, actually, although Cirque du Soleil narrating seem quite far apart, actually they dovetail quite neatly. Um, And, you know, one of the reasons I loved being a performer with Cirque is that every night I got to tell this story on stage or being a be a part of telling this story on stage and you know we were always seeking better ways to tell the story um and although the easy way is you know in circus the easy way is with a bigger trick or a bigger act but it's yeah how does that how does that trick become part of this world this story this thing that the audience are experiencing I also remember, and I feel this way in a lot of live performances, I think it was what I most was sad and missed during COVID. There's a moment in almost every live performance where it's not loud and big, it's intimate and tiny, and you can hear a pin drop, Mm. right? Because everyone's focus in these huge auditoriums suddenly are enraptured. And that's the beauty of that live experience the collective experience that we we kind of connect as human beings in those moments you know in that moment of silence when we're all holding our breath we're all waiting for the pin to drop we know that there's you know thousands of other people having a similar parallel experience to us and it 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 makes us kind of remember the the connections that we have with our fellow human beings that aren't always direct they're not always spoken about they don't always need reflecting on we just go oh we're we're all in this together you know yes yes when you walk out of a theater and everyone is just oh oh, that moment oh that you know yeah that sort of the energy afterwards is or that you're still crying you're still crying as you walk out because it was so emotional yes yeah it's very bonding it brings us together um you know those that's why live um, live performance is so important, I think, um, or one of the reasons why it's so important that it's very difficult to have those experiences, you know, remotely always. So. And I, I actually do think that's why during COVID, the audio experience, audio storytelling experience sort of took off, mm. right? Because there is an intimacy to a storyteller in your ear, just you and that storyteller. Yeah. Um, that that mirrors that a little, that you feel like you're having a moment with that, with that story, with that person in your ear. There's an intimacy to it that is that fed some of that need, I think, mm-hmm. when we were um cut off so much. And continues to, right? Continues to. I think that's why it's such a growing, growing field. Abs- absolutely. And it's almost, I think, with with audiobooks, it's almost becomes another character in the story that you're experiencing because you have you have the characters there that are being written about or the stories are playing out. And then you you also get this other point of view to a certain extent, which is the narrator giving you his or her take on on how this story is told and um, you know, the world of the characters. And I and I think. That's a, that's a really beautiful addition to an experience of a book. You have the author, you have what he or she has written, and then you have this, this narrator who's also giving you 
you know, something else to experience about this world. Yeah, I've heard from several authors that when they listen to the audiobook, it's almost like they're not listening to their story. Mm. Like it is, it has been translated into another thing. Um, and that it's otherworldly or out of body, kind of like, oh, um, because the narrator does bring their um, their energy, their person, it becomes another component in the listener, the writer, the narrator, um, sort of collectively, yeah. You know, we see that echoed across different art forms. It's, uh, you know, in circus, there might be a certain number of people that can do this trick, but that person does it that way, that person does it that way. It's unique and with a you know or in dance the choreographers given the steps but these specific dancers will dance them in a slightly subtly nuanced different way and it's the same thing with narration you know another person could uh narrate the duke in question and you would you'd get a different take on it same words but it would be a different take and that's that's a gorgeous thing and something i think that uh you know is very special about about narration and the honor of actually narrating a specific book. It, it's always an honor to go, oh, I, I'm going to voice these words. You know, it's very special. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. You've been super generous. The, la the last thing I always ask um, comes back to the title of the podcast. I called it Desideratum, which means, literally means an essential thing. Um, when I was growing up, my parents had this poem they hung on the wall called Desiderata. Yeah, I used to have it on my wall. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste. Yes. And remember what peace there may be in silence. Oh. Yes. That came right back from childhood. Well, it was one of those things. It was a touchstone that they had hanging up. So, so when I was trying to think of what to contribute to the podcast space, I knew I wanted to talk to storytellers and people that bring story to life and that I wanted to go beyond just a review of the story and talk about essential things and things that are essential to being human and to being a storyteller. Uh, so I always like to ask, you know, for you, if someone says, you know, Helen, what is most essential? What do you think is essential? How do you answer? Mm, well, that's such a good, deep, delicious question. Um, the thing that springs to mind, the thing that springs to mind is having things in your life that you feel passion about, not just like your love, yes, but things that light you up. Um, I know, you know, I'm very lucky in that I felt passionate about performance and storytelling from a very young age. And I've always kind of looked at, you know, when I was growing up, kind of looked at people that didn't really know what they wanted to do and felt a bit foxed by that and gone, oh no, that's all, that's awful. You must, you must find something. And, you know, I think, I think having things that, that set you on fire, that those are the things that's, that's what comes to mind as the most essential. And not deliberately wanting to loop it back to the Duke in question, but I do think that's what Bronwyn has in bucket loads. She has things that set her on fire that she really wants to fight for and that are essentials. I love it. As soon as you said passion, I thought, what perfect answer for my day to cover a romance book. Right? 
Yes. It, and, and I do think you're right about the character. It's been really fun talking to you about it. I, I'm so grateful. Likewise. Likewise. I hope you enjoyed getting to know narrator Helen Day, who performed The Duke in Question as Hedra Knight as much as I did. I want to thank the Colorado Sun for shining their light on Amelie Howard's work. I listen to the Daily Sunup podcast, and on Sundays, I check out the Sunlit Features on authors put together by Sunlit editor Kevin Simpson. You can check it out at coloradosun.org or look for the Daily Sunup wherever you found this podcast. The Duke in Question was a Colorado Book Award finalist in the romance category. I love that Colorado Humanities celebrates storytellers in my home state. You can find the winners and finalists in all the genre categories at coloradohumanities.org. A big thank you to author Amelie Howard, narrator Helen Day, reading as Hedra Knight, and all the fine folks at Dreamscape Media for bringing the Duke in Question audiobook to life and sponsoring this episode. Dreamscape Media's catalog includes best-selling audiobooks, children's educational videos, prominent independent authors, and much, much more. They strive to publish and distribute titles that both inspire and entertain listeners, readers, and viewers around the world. I'm honored that they support this podcast, and I hope you'll connect with them please visit them at dreamscapepublishing.com where you should sign up for their weekly newsletter that has audiobook news, deals, and giveaways. I'll put links to everyone I thanked in the show notes. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>